The Bible reading this morning is from the second chapter of Luke and beginning at verse 21 and reading through to the end of the chapter. And it is on page 1460 in your Bibles. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was devout and righteous. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asia, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Um, I wonder, have you got any um, places in the world that hold special significance for you? Perhaps it's uh, where you grew up, uh, or perhaps it's um, the first home you owned. Um, for Zennials and Zoomers, owning a home is a thing that people used to do back in the olden days. Okay, you, never happened to you, but there you go. Um, yes, perhaps it's where you grew up or your first home. Here is uh, my uh, siblings and my mum and dad outside the house uh, we grew up in. Uh, so this was a few years ago, just before mum and dad downsized. And it's just bricks and mortar. Uh, Sharon went past it when she was on holiday there recently, and it's all different now, inside and out. But looking at that picture, for me, it holds so many memories. Births and deaths and marriages, Christmases and crises, birthdays and bedlam. And lots and lots of laughter. Lots and lots of laughter. Well, in today's passage that Jones just read for us, um, Luke's grouped together three testimonies, three words, sayings about Jesus that happened at the temple in Jerusalem. And um, the temple was a key part of, of God's people, Israel's life with him. So Israelites would try and make it there once a year for the Passover. It was where the sacrificial system established in the law, that was carried out. Um, and that was a means by which Israelites expressed their faith in, ex- acknowledged their need for saving and expressing their faith in God to do that. Um, uh, so it all kept them, at that stage in history, kept them in right relationship with God. It's where the priests taught the Bible. Um, and in the Holy of Holies there, God was present in a, in a special way, such that there was a whole system of things being clean or consecrated or unconsecrated. All, all that in place to allow an unholy people to be near the presence of the holy God. Now, I tell you all that because all those things that we've seen happen up to, to this point, angelic and prophetic announcements about God's promised Savior King Jesus, the Messiah, we could reasonably have expected all that to have gone on in the temple. And if someone ever wrote a biography about me... Uh, wouldn't be an interesting read, I don't think. But if, if they missed out the stuff about our house, 95 Burnage Lane, 
they've been missing out an important piece of the story. And similarly, Luke's readers might have been thinking, well, if, if this Messiah is legit, if he really is God's plan for salvation, why no temple? Well, here it is. The action centers on the temple for this bit. Uh, but as we'll see, that's to get ready to explode out to the whole world. So we're focusing in the temple, ready to get out to the whole world. And we end up at the temple because Mary and Joseph are parenting by the book. Now, uh, I didn't have a chance to put an outline in your leaflet. If you want to put three headings roughly spaced out like that, small one at the top, more room for the second one. I've got by the book, the waiting is over, and family business. By the book, waiting is over, family business, if that kind of stuff helps you. So Mary and Joseph are parenting by the book. So Luke bookends um, the first two temple tales about Simeon and Anna with letting us know that Mary and Joseph are doing all the things that the law requires of them. So you see that in verses 22 to 24 and verses 39. It's like a sandwich. Uh, That's the bread with the important bit in the middle. So just to explain, Mary would have been considered ceremonially unclean after giving birth. There's a a waiting period for purification. And then she was to present sacrifices to be offered for her sin and for her purification. So normally that would be a lamb, but if you couldn't afford a lamb like Mary and Joseph, you could offer birds instead. And we're also told that they brought Jesus to present him to the Lord. So what's that about? Well, that comes from the story of of the Exodus when God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. And as part of the escape, God had brought judgment on Egypt, killing every firstborn male, human and animal. And the Israelites escaped this death by painting the blood of a sacrificed lamb on their doorposts. So the lamb took the place of the firstborn's life. So from then on, every firstborn was to be consecrated, that is, set aside for God. Why? so that God's people would never forget that they were a redeemed, rescued people. They'd never forget that God was on about grace and rescuing a people to himself. So as Luke writes this gospel, he's highlighting for us what the law was highlighting for for Joseph and Mary and any new parents, that God is about rescuing and redeeming people, making them his own holy people. That's the the sort of sandwich bread, the framework which is surrounding these testimonies that Simeon and Anna give. So as Jesus is introduced to the public for the first time, redemption, rescue, salvation, there are the big notes being played. See, God is interested in people. Um, 95 Burnage Lane was important in my life because of the relationships of the people in it who lived there. And the temple and the law surrounding it, all that stuff, they were important because they were all about God giving his people a way to be in good relationship with him. So we're about salvation and God's about people. And now for two people in the temple, the waiting is over. 
The waiting is over. So we've got two witnesses that confirm that Jesus is the one bringing God's salvation uh, for Jerusalem, where they are, for Israel, and for all humanity. Now here we've got, uh, well, Croft, we've got several babies due to arrive in 2020. So I think I'd better brush up on my saying nice things about baby skills, hadn't I? You know, what lovely eyes, you know, or, ooh, don't they look like you, or don't they look like the other one? Oh, the, she's so cute, isn't she? Are you convinced I'm pulling this off? Because, I mean, they, they basically all look pretty much the same when they're not your own, don't they, you know? But what if I came to these babies and started making declarations about their role in life? This one is definitely going to be an astronaut. Look at those legs. He's definitely going to play for Manchester City. The parents might smile politely, but they're in, inside the building. Yeah, right, whatever. But in this passage, Simeon and Anna have been given special revelation by God about the baby that Joseph and Mary are presenting. Um, Anna has got this sort of rare title, prophetess, and Simeon, verse 26, well, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Uh, Simeon, we're told, verse 25, is righteous and devout, and, and Anna, 37, did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting and, pr and prayer night and day. So we've got basically both godly, reliable witnesses, and there's two of them. Both with their eyes fixed on the horizon, looking for God to fulfill his promises of saving his people, um, of, prom of saving Jerusalem and saving the world. So that's worded. Verse 25, Simeon's looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna, verse 38, for the redemption of Jerusalem. So just to explain that, they're trusting in promises given through the prophet Isaiah. Um, promises given as God's people, God's bringing an end to Israel's exile in Babylon. So the promise is not just a return to the promised land, but restoration of relationship with God. Hostilities ended by his grace and forgiveness. So this is from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That doesn't mean he's given them twice as much as he should. It means he's, it's exactly paid completely the debt that's owed. And part of God's promises in Isaiah uh, 16 62 involved Jerusalem. That's sort of what the redemption of Jerusalem is about. Um, it's often called Zion on the Bible. Uh, and the picture is given is at the end of time, uh, on God's day of judgment, people from all nations stream to a glorious, perfected Jerusalem to worship God. His enemies defeated once and for all. And those prophecies are expanded on in Revelation, in the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. Now, we haven't got time to go into that now. But these are the promises hanging in the air that Simeon and Anna are really anticipating and thinking about daily. Uh, they're waiting with like kind of God-given bated breath. When, and then Simeon meets Jesus, verse 28. 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. God's rescue has started. His salvation is here, not in an abstract, conceptual way. Simeon is holding him and looking at him with his own eyes. And again, I said this in previous talks, we want to stress that this isn't just my interpretation about who Jesus is. It's not the churches projecting doctrine onto Jesus for some reason. Now, what we know about Jesus, that he is God's Savior King, come to save us through forgiveness of sin, that comes from God's word through his angels and prophets telling us what the events mean. So in verse 29 there where it says, you have promised. Now, I don't often like giving you Greek lessons, but here's one. Because just sometimes when um, it's translated into English, it's translated well, but to make the sentence work, you lose the sense sometimes that it's the same word used throughout a a book. So that word rhema, um, translated in verse 29 as you have promised, it means um, a word, a saying, or a meaning. And it's throughout these chapters, in all these verses that we've already looked at, for no word, rhema, from God will ever fail. Mary said, may your word be fulfilled. Um, The shepherds went around um, talking about all these things, these words, these sayings. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this saying that has happened. Um, They spread the word concerning what had been told them. Mary treasured all these words sayings in her heart and you get the idea there's loads of them the point is the gospel is very clear what Jesus is about is no mystery because God has used words to tell us directly now knowing God being in relationship with him there can be profound things about it can't there there can be things that are difficult to put into words. And and God being good, sure, we'll never completely work him out, will we? But I think we need to be careful about dwelling in that God is mysterious space. Because what people tend to do is try and insert their own ideas into a space that God has not left blank. God has told us who Jesus is, what he's come to do, and how we should respond. So if you take anything away from these kind of secondary characters to the Christmas story that we've been looking at, take that away. See, it it worries me sometimes when people talk about their faith journey. Now, what I hope it means is that um, people are seeking to mature in Christ, growing in love for him and his people, and they're just being humble and acknowledging that there's room for improvement. But I worry that often when people talk about their faith journey, it means that the plain gospel is being treated a bit like, you know when you get a mainstream guidebook for a holiday, um, or a trip advisor, or Lonely Planet or something, and people want to be more cool and go off the beaten track. I worry that that's what people are doing with the gospel that's plain and obvious 
when they talk about a faith journey. We should not seek to make mysterious what God has made plain. We should not seek to make mysterious what God has made plain. So here we are in the temple in Jerusalem, in Israel. But the salvation Jesus brings goes much, much wider than that. So part of the promises in Isaiah um, wasn't just salvation for Israel. It was for the other nations, what Jewish people call Gentiles, as well. So in Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So with that promise hanging in the air, Simeon says of Jesus, verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation, for which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Jesus is the one through whom God is making right relationship with him available to all humanity, to you and to me. And no wonder uh, Joseph and Mary marveled at what he said. Probably, you know, this is all a bit mind-blowing. But then hit Simeon hits a more somber tone, doesn't he? Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, thanks, Simeon. You know, it's, not, it's not the kind of stuff you put on a congratulations on your new baby card, is it? You know, there's five things here about Jesus um, to cause Mary to worry. So he'll cause many to fall, many to rise. He'll be spoken against. He'll reveal the thoughts of people's hearts and he'll break Mary's heart. And it would have been hard for Mary to hear, but it, what Simeon's saying fits in with what Mary sang about before Jesus was born. That God's MO is to bring down the proud who essentially make themselves their own God and to lift up those humble enough to know they need their need for God to save them. So if I think back to 95 Burns Lane again, well... Going there was a real test of your mettle. Um, so at our peak, there was 12 of us living there. So my siblings, mum and dad, some foster children, plus all our various entourages, in and out all the time. It was very lively, shall we say. And when people came to visit, it was a test of their personality, of their heart, really. So poor Sharon, my wife Sharon here, when we were first dating, her living arrangement, it was just her and her dad, really quiet but so you can imagine when she came to our house and all this chaos going on noise constantly always something happening but you know i'm so irresistible she she kept coming around and she came to love it that environment was a test of whether you could love that or not trusting in jesus is the way in which we are saved 
Jesus is how God loves us. Jesus is how God saves us. He is the offer. So there's no sitting on the fence. If you're not for Jesus, throwing your lot in with him, um, you're against him. Because really you're coming up with your, your own, another salvation of your own making. And that's why many will hate him. That's why many will hate us for loving him. Because Jesus challenges our assumption that we're fundamentally good enough. And if not, we can sort ourselves out. So where are you today? Are you falling or rising? Are you proud or humble? Are you speaking for Jesus or against? When we are for Jesus, trusting in him, we're on solid ground. When we're trusting in him as revealed to us plainly by God's word, we're standing on God's truth. And other pretenders to that title of absolute truth might butt up against Jesus might be offended by him. But Jesus will stand victorious forever. And so will we if we trust in him. So let's fast forward now uh, to our final temple tale. Luke takes us to 12 years later. It's Passover. So again, that lived history of God rescuing his people for himself. That's in the air. And 12-year-old Jesus lets us know that he is continuing the family business. Final heading, if you use those, family business. Now, Mary and Joseph probably aren't winning any parenting awards, but they've reasonably but wrongly assumed that someone else is looking after Jesus and have to head back to Jerusalem to find him. So after searching, can you imagine how wrung out they'd have been after three days looking for him? They find him. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So directly to his earthly dad, Joseph, Jesus is calling God his father. Now, your average Israelite might have conceived of God as the founding father of their nation, but they wouldn't conceive of God as their personal parent, let alone say that out loud so what jesus is saying here is either bratish blasphemous arrogance or it's the incredible truth see with jesus very first words his uh, very first recorded words uh, simeon's prophecy of division is already coming true isn't it jesus is introducing himself as a son of God, God the Son. 
I had to be in my father's house, he says. That can also mean I had to be about my father's business. I had to be about my father's business. See, Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, God the Son. And he's on the same page, on the same mission, of the same will and purpose as God the Father. They're on about the same thing, salvation. And it's important to get this unity of will and purpose and being between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father right. Because when people get this wrong, they struggle with the idea of Jesus, the nice guy, taking the punishment that we deserve from the angry God the Father figure. And say, they say silly things like, oh, it's, that's, that's cosmic child abuse. But when we realize that Jesus is part and parcel of the final judgment that will happen at the end of time, when we realize Jesus is God himself, well, then we're blown away by the love of God who is willing to step in on our behalf and take on himself his own righteous, appropriate, proportionate, settled opposition to sin and evil. Take on himself his own wrath. So Jesus is about the family business, saving us from the death and judgment we deserve. Saving us from that into glorious eternal peace. So I mentioned um, that at 95 Burnage Lane, where I grew up, we always had foster children with us. And some of them had been treated unbelievably cruelly by their own families. Some of them themselves turned out to be cruel. And I'm not saying we were a perfect family, far from it. But if those children joined in with our family business, um, of our way of doing life together, of being together, well, then they got to be part of uh, a loving, nurturing, um, no-nonsense, stable home. Well, Jesus offers us much more than that. However lost or far gone we are, because he's faithfully gone about his father's business of salvation, if we trust Jesus, we're not fostered. We're adopted into God's family permanently as Jesus' brothers and sisters. So we've been seeing how this small baby is a big deal. We've had our testimonies come from the temple, but the truth of those testimonies has rippled out through history, through the nations, all the way to 95 Burnage Lane, all the way to the places of your significance, all the way to here and now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this small baby who is a big deal. Thank you that in Jesus you have come to make us to bring us peace with you. Uh, thank you that is our sure and certain hope of adoption into your family, sins forgiven, now and forever. We humbly put our trust in, 
in Jesus. Trust in him to raise us up. Amen.